Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, August the 1st, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. Whew. I mean, it never gets easier, does it? I mean, every time you and I meet, you think that things become clearer, the season crystallizes, and that you and I can spend the rest of the dog days of August into September into a pennant race and potentially a postseason experience. And all it takes is one Sunday here, the first Sunday, the first day of August after the weekend of the trade deadline to get a losing homestand. Obviously, a couple of days ago, the Mets made a big deal. Then they took a big loss with potentially Jacob deGrom being down now till September. And just about a half an hour ago, they don't sign their number one number one pick, which we didn't really even get into Kumar Rocket. We briefly talked about him. We never got our buddy Joe DeMeo. He's been all over uh, SNY. Been trying to get Joe DeMeo on the show. We haven't been able to connect, but uh, that'll happen eventually, I believe. Joe and I always uh, you know, try to you know, get one to two programs in a year if he has the time. You could see him all the time now at SNY. Great stuff on Mets prospects over there. 
Uh, so we really didn't even get into Kumar Rocker in the draft. And sure enough, maybe I was prescient there because it doesn't really matter. Is uh, We'll talk about that later, but he will not be a New York Met as uh, the Mets and Kumar Rocker did not come to a deal over medicals, it appears. There's more than meets the eye there, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But, um, you know, where do I start? It's so hard because there's so many different ways and angles here to go, but Going into this homestand, I really believe this 11 games was going to tell us a lot about whether this team could take off and put some separation between them and the competition. Competition that's very flawed. Look, the Mets have their issues. We know that they're a little light in starting pitching now because of health. You could argue that maybe the bullpen's overworked and they're going to be exposed. Certainly, we know the offense is underperforming. Maybe you want to say they should have gotten more than just Baez as a bat. I'll, I'll argue with you on that one till the end of the day, but even with all that, I think the Mets are clearly better than the Phillies, and although the Braves made some good component moves at the deadline, the Braves just don't have that it factor. In a lot of ways, they're like the Mets on offense, where they have these brownouts. You start again today against Milwaukee, and you can't figure it out because they got some good hitters in the lineup. Then this day, they score 18 runs. You're like, well, they're not that good, and away you go. And even Brian Snitker talked a little bit about that with Eddie C., on uh, the pregame show when they were in City Field this past week. But what you got after the 11 games was they're not pulling away and they're not pulling into the muck, but they're, they're pointing more towards the muck than they are p- pulling away. And I'll tell you what, you're really going to see what is going to win or lose the division starting this week. And it starts down in Miami in South Beach. Now, you want to talk about why that's the case? The Nats and the Marlins are about 25 games left on the schedule for the Mets. And I believe that those 25 games, how successful the Mets are, will determine whether or not this team will win the division. Because if you stub your toe in games like that against inferior competition, you're not going to win all of them. But you've got to play north of 600 ball in those. It's going to be really hard as you go to places like Milwaukee later in the year and San Francisco and L.A. Uh, you got to play the Phillies six more times. Look, those teams are going to get up for you. They're going to try to beat you. They got to play the Braves at the end of the year. They got to go to Boston. They still have a series against the Yankees. So those are the, the series where you want to come out and kind of play to a draw because it's hard to get on a roll there. It's series like what's coming up that – are really going to determine the division. And and right now, I think the disappointment this week is that even with no DeGrom, even with the fact that you just got your deadline acquisition bat in Javi Baez, and uh, you know, he's already had an impact, but you know, he had a, other than that home run, he had a quietish weekend with the bat. You really have a team that, even as currently constituted, should run away a little bit, but lost back-to-back series against teams that quite honestly, with a crooked number in a given inning, they very easily could be 7-4 and four on this homestand. Putting the trade deadline in perspective here. Forget it, and I'll get to that now. But put it in perspective. I don't care who you thought the Mets should get. They just averaged 2.7 runs per game on this homestand. 2.7. They won two games, scoring three runs. A one nothing game and a 2-1 to game against the Braves. Big wins, big wins. Credit Diaz in those ball games. Credit the bullpen. Credit the starting pitching. One of those was a, a bullpen game 
with guys like Anthony Bonda, who's not even on the roster anymore, uh, contributing. Maybe the seven-inning doubleheaders helped. Brandon Drury with a couple of big hits. You know, give the guy a bunch of credit. Guy we never, guy we've joked about on the show because he was one of the names that some of the members of the media a few years ago thought should be the centerpiece of a trade for Noah Syndergaard or Jacob deGrom. How ironic is that? They scored, they won two games by scoring three runs. They very easily, they were five and six on this homestand. They very easily could have been three and eight. Scoring 2.7 runs. And this is not the first stretch. They, the first month of the season, they averaged a shade under three runs a game. This is this has been a trend where they have these brownouts, where they go and their approach is either overly passive in the wrong spot, overly aggressive, long periods of lack of anything happening. I mean, they're, they, they're not at the top of the league in walks. I think that's one of the biggest things I've noticed as I tried to look at the Mets' offense. And that's an outcome stat, but whatever. They are uh, towards the bottom in walks, so you don't put a lot of pressure on the pitcher. Look at the Reds, how much pressure they put on the Mets pitchers. Mets pitchers walk, what, six or seven guys today? You know, our friend Castro again coming in and putting kerosene on the fire. Again, pitchers that come out of the bullpen and can't throw strikes will always doom you to fail. Same with start. It, walks will destroy a season. Now, the starting pitching, uh, excuse me, the staff in general has been pretty good at that. They've been more like they were in 2015 and 2016 where they kept the walks down, and I think that's why they've been successful. But I don't care what you thought the Mets should do at the deadline. 2.7 runs per game. There is no deal the Mets could make. No deal for a starting pitcher. unless Even on offense, unless they were going to blow up the whole offense and get eight All-Stars, that's going to change everything. Realistically, they made the best deal possible for what they need. We've been debating since... Middle of May, what this team was going to need at the All-Star break. And I've waffled from offense to pen to starting pitcher. A lot of that had to do with the fact that this just this crazy, disjointed season uh, between the replacement injuries and then the pitchers went down, like Lucchese and the depth. And then you started to say, well, they need so much bullpen because the starters can't go deep. They're going to have to get a bullpen arm. So we kept going all back and forth, and the best package might have been like a Chris Bryant, Craig Kimball combo. Well, they didn't get that, but they got the bat that's not as good as Bryant, in my opinion, but not that far off in Javier Baez. But the funniest part about the whole deadline is that here you get news at about 2 o'clock. Well, the Mets got the news, not the media or the fans. Jacob deGrom, and we have no idea what's going on. This guy, you know, there's, I am never going to question someone's body. It's their pain. But if you have tendonitis and aches and pain, just like Max Scherzer missed a start last week and has had periods where he's had the same type of aches and pains over the last few years, uh, I got to hope that that's exactly uh, compromising his ability to be elite because when you hit the mid-30s as a pitcher, I don't think you're going to feel great a majority of the time. I really don't. So we'll see. But at 2 o'clock when they get the news... The fans want the Mets, Zach Scott, Sandy Olsen, whoever the hell is making deals around here. Zach Scott clearly said on the John Heyman podcast, it's him. You know, Sandy, of course, still around. He's the liaison for ownership. Uh, baseball president, you know, not just pre- baseball president, president of the whole darn thing. They want them to pivot. And you hear rumors of names like McNeil and one of their top prospects and Francisco Alvarez being necessary to get Jose Barrios. And Barrios winds up going to Toronto for a pretty solid package of prospects. Probably the Mets would have to go a lot higher to beat that, and maybe it wasn't even going to matter because they wanted those prospects, the Twins, for a specific reason. Uh, 
you know, the same fans that have been clamoring for three years for a guy out in Seattle that was traded for an elite closer that drives you bananas but is still pretty elite with elite stuff and still one of the better closers in the league when he's on. They've been clamoring for this guy. Talk about how stupid the Mets were overpaying. Want the Mets to do exactly that. There was only one pitcher at this deadline that could replace DeGrom. And it's not Kenta Maeda, and it's not Jose Barrios, although both of those guys would have helped. It's Max Scherzer, and he didn't want to come here. And I don't think Washington wanted to send him here. Because prospect package being equal, and I know that today's day and age, things are not the same in terms of interdivision competition. But I got to believe that, and I still believe this, and people laugh when I say that, if you think 29 other teams, including the team across town, are going to sit back and watch a team owned by a new kid on the block, one of the richest, the richest owner in the league, and one of the richest guys in, the, in all the country, one of the richest guys out there, just to come in and get what he wants, when he wants, and be successful year one, and make it easy for him? You guys got another thing coming for you. You're not paying attention to how the league works, how people's personalities work, how jealousy works. You're not paying attention. You thought there was going to be a yellow brick road to success because Steve Cohen owned the team. He's got a lot of ability to give us a lot of tools and assets as a fan base, a lot of tools and assets to root for uh, in terms of what this team can be, but it doesn't make it any easier. So that was a pipe dream. Mets looked into it. It was a pipe dream. So that's it. So without that guy on the table, unless there's another elite starter available like Zach Wheeler, they ain't trading him to the Mets. He wasn't even available. There's nothing they could do. If DeGrom is out, it's very simple. The Mets with DeGrom, if they can make the postseason, are a serious tournament team. The baseball postseason has become about the tournament. Look at teams like the 87 Twins. Look at the Giants teams that won in the high 80s and won World Series during the last decade. Just go up and down the list. Okay, it's 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 a tournament. Once you get in, anybody can win it. You Seattle Mariners what? Won 116 games in 2001, got knocked out. Didn't mean a darn thing. Almost got knocked out in the first round before they even played the Yankees that year. So it's about the tournament, it's about getting hot and who you're going to tell me, I don't care what you think about the Mets offense. I don't care what you think about Louis Rojas, the GM, the baseball president, the owner, whatever. But if you get into a five or seven game series against the Mets with a healthy Jacob DeGrom, you think that they're going to feel good about that? The teams are going to be rooting for that? You think the Dodgers want to play that series? You think the Giants want to play that series? Milwaukee? Of course not. The only good news with that is that regardless of what happens here in terms of his health, if he's pitching, I don't think he's able to go deep into games. I think you're looking at the same problem that you had with Pedro Martinez at some point in his career where Pedro gave you a good five, six innings and uh, you left it up to the bullpen. I think that that's what you're going to get. That's the problem with DeGrom. I don't think you're going to see him do what Chris Sale did a few years ago, which has kind of become the pseudo-closer late in games. I don't think he's able to, at least right now, he's shown he doesn't have the durability to do that, at least not this year, maybe in the past. So it's critically important, I think, to really look at everything like that. Now, as far as the deal that was made, it doesn't bother me. Personally, if you ask me if I had a choice, would I have liked a more component-driven deadline? Like, and what I mean by that, like what the Braves did, where they, they brought in some you know, all-or-nothing hitters in Duvall and Solar 
They went out and they got Ramirez from the Pirates, a guy that I like to come out of the bullpen, guy that throws strikes, doesn't walk anybody. Not dominant. Not dominant, but guess what? It's, you know, maybe you give up a hit, but the guy that, you know, gets people to, to, to make contact and make outs, that's what it's all about. It's when you walk guys, like I said earlier, that the problems start. But what they did do is they added a power bat to a lineup that right now needs a jolt. Needs the ability, like they did on Saturday night when they were down by three runs, for someone to come up and, and hit one over the fence so they could get back in it. Whether you agree with the philosophy or not, and we know that you know Zach Scott now coming from Boston has his own philosophies and what have you, but Sandy Alderson is still very much in this chaotic transition that has happened since November 1st between Sandy being hired and the Mets putting this organization together on the fly. Sandy Olison has traditionally put together teams that offensively only hit home runs, are built on pitching, they've struggled to fix the bullpen, and and maybe this is the first time they've ever been able to do that. And a lot of that has to do with the trade that was made that everybody hates with Diaz. And you're seeing it go down that way. So, to me, Baez is not going to do you any harm. I mean, this... This was a splash move. I mean, I think the Mets felt they needed to make a splash move. And the guy was kind of fell into their lap. Where all they had to do was give up a prospect that may be their top pick, but has been hurt. And is so far away from making an impact that, uh, unlike Kelnick, I don't think that the, the blowback will be very much. And uh, who knows what this guy's going to be. The prospect hugging went away. All the things that I've been saying, you know, that, that have been a bugaboo for me, for years and years, if you've been listening to this program, uh, you saw all these teams go for it. Teams like Toronto, you know, the Braves even, the Phillies. Teams really saying, look, if you have a chance to win and get into this tournament, let's go for it. And you have to remember, that's what this is about. And with 25 games against those two bottom feeder teams, that's what's going to decide this. The Mets have a five, four or five game lead in the loss column. They're in pretty good shape. Look, there's issues. Is Baez going to come in? And solve all these issues like Cespedes did back in 2015? I don't know. He's very similar. He's an imperfect player. You know, you saw you saw the good and the bad with Baez right off the bat this weekend. You saw the home run in the middle innings uh, yesterday. And then in the ninth inning with a 3-0 count, you saw him chase the slider away, which was ball four, which would have put two runners on. Now, he missed the slider hanger that would have been, you know, hit to, to, the, to the moon, Right after that, you know, that happens. And then he made an out. So you saw the good and the bad. The disciplined hitter takes the walk, puts first and second, nobody out, and puts more pressure on, on the pitcher. But that's not who you got. He's very good defensively. He provides versatility. And who knows? You know, he's friendly with Lindor. And whether you guys like this or not, the Mets and Lindor and Steve Cohen, that was the big first move. They're married for a long time. And if Lindor wants somebody and... It's going to come down to Baez or Conforto. I wouldn't put it past the Mets to make Lindor happy and bring his his buddy in the fold. We, you know, long way off from that, but it's something to think about. And at least now you have someone that you brought in, similar to what I thought they would do with Chris Bryant, where you hedge your bets a little bit. And if you don't want to re-sign Conforto, and at this point other than a one-year qualifying offer, would you give Conforto a long-term deal? Think about if the Mets didn't blink and give Lindor the contract. They'd have their pick of the lot. Because when you bring in this second, they'd have Baez on a, on a walk year, Lindor on a walk year, 
and, and, and Conforto. And out of those three guys, two are not having good years. They're not having years where they could get the maximum value. So really interesting how that played out. But I don't get into winners or losers in the trade deadline. I think it's a waste of time. I don't get into winning headlines with the trade deadline. Just like I don't care about winning headlines in the offseason. See, the media and the fans want to compartmentalize baseball seasons into all these different things. Like, you have to win here because there's a competition in the offseason. And then the games start, and you got to win because that's what it's all about. But the things you did to win headlines in the offseason may compromise your ability to win during the season. And it's the same thing at the trade deadline. You make a bad deal it may impact you from going forward and winning. You know, the Phillies made splashes. They lost two out of three of the Pirates. So at least nice to see that some other teams stubbed their toe against a very pesky Pirates team. So I think the Mets did as good as they can do at the deadline based on probably what the prices were. You heard Anthony DeComo say that the prices for Barrios and maybe even a Kenta Maeda were pretty high. Um, I would have brought Zach Davies in, uh, but it seems like they wanted the flexibility that Williams brings with him. That's why he's down in Syracuse and potentially could start. They at least got somebody that's a major league pitcher. Maybe not the greatest one, but he's not Jared Eikhoff. He's not a bullpen game. He's not someone off the scrap heap that nobody else wants that they could put in there in the case that Rich Hill is injured and whatnot. And by the way, do we not count Rich Hill and what happened a week earlier? So if the Mets got Rich Hill on Friday this week instead of Friday the f- previous week, would that account as a deadline deal? Because people say, well, they didn't go out and get pitching. Well, they did. And and maybe he's imperfect. And there's a lot about these Met, this Mets team that's imperfect. But he's an experienced dominant. He was good enough for the Dodgers, the almighty Dodgers, to start the postseason for them. But he's not good enough for the Mets. Start thinking about it. Start rethinking a lot of this because there's a lot there. But look, do I like the move? It doesn't bother me. It, it, it's not harming, I think, the farm system any more than it's been harmed uh, in terms of, of development, really. I think the Mets have drafted pretty well. They've traded away a bunch of guys. But other than Kelnick, who have they traded away that's really going to— Who who were they going to trade? Who have they traded away under Brody that really would have helped them uh, on Friday? Other than Kelnick. What, the, all the relievers they traded away, the villainies and guys like that? They weren't going to, that wasn't going to make a difference. I think what hurt the Mets is the minor league shutdown from last year because all these B and C and D prospects that I think the Mets don't do a good job marketing like maybe some of the teams, the other teams do, like the team across town, didn't get a chance to play. So you're not seeing enough of them. They have Vientos. Maybe people don't believe in Vientos, but hey, you know what? Don't believe in Vientos. He's hitting a ton of homers in double uh, A. Soon, I'm sure he'll get some AAA work. Maybe he's a piece the Mets could have. Maybe they like him better. You don't get a lot with the whole situation, with the way the sport is covered, because of the restrictions and because of what happened last year. You're really not getting the nuance and the context to really be able to understand everything that you normally would. So, look, bad homestand, pretty much an unacceptable homestand. Because it was, it wouldn't have taken a lot to be seven and four. And if they were, I mean, they'd be in tremendous shape. They're still in pretty good shape, but they're pointing more towards being part of the muck than running away from it. And now they go down to South Beach, and look, these are critical beating these kind of teams, and these are also the teams. Hello, two thousand seven Mets, that could undo you. 
So you can't take them lightly. And I think that ultimately, those 25 games or so, that might be what decides one team versus the other. Because the Mets, the Braves and the Phillies are going to lose games too to some of the other teams, like the Dodgers and the Giants when they play them or whoever else they play. I mean, I haven't looked at this schedule one for one. Braves just lost two out of three to Milwaukee. Team the Mets took two out of three from. At home. So, anyway, let's take a quick break. When we return, Kumar Rocker, Hysteria, a lot of people are either doctors or financial advisors to Steve Cohen. It's amazing. Nobody knows anything, but they know everything. We'll talk about that and more right after this. It's exciting to reminisce about Johan Santana's no-hitter, the first in Mets history. But do we remember who quite literally put his career on the line to preserve the moment? Mike Puma, New York Post beat reporter and author of the book of These Walls Could Talk, certainly does. 3-1 coming to Molina. And a fly ball deep left field. Back goes Baxter onto the track. He makes the catch! What a play! And Baxter may be hurt. Yeah, and the thing was, Baxter at that point was just starting to get some uh, decent playing time for the Mets, and he had a he had a pretty good OPS. He was, you know, he was a lefty bat. He was he was starting to produce a little bit. It was the it was kind of the peak of his career there. Uh, you know that that previous two months of the, you know, because that was June first. So the first couple of months that 2012 season was the peak of his career. He's he's starting to play, and then uh, he gets hurt making that catch. He's never the same again. You know, he he, he tried to come back. Uh, it was with the Cubs actually in '15. Uh, uh, the year the, the Mets went to the World Series and uh, just just never got it back. And, it, uh, you know, it, the, the thing about it is at least you, you go out and you're remembered for something big. And, you know, Mets fans will never forget Mike Baxter. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. All right, we're back. So the Mets don't sign their first-round pick, Kumar Rocker. They built their whole draft around the fact that this kid fell to them. Dynamic kid, many thought was going to be a number one pick. Dropped. There were concerns about him, uh, you know, mainly because of signability in Boris. But I know some of his performance late in the college season raised some red flags. And Mets seem to have come to a deal for about six million bucks signing bonus, and then it disappeared. And there's going to be a debate, and there's. Not everything we know today, and I think more will come out over the coming days and weeks. There'll be the Boris propaganda, and you know there'll be the Mets position, and then there's the truth, somewhere in between. But here's what I'm going to say. Before we get all crazy, and I've seen fans clamor for the Mets front office to be overturned and fired. You know, when I criticized Sandy Alderson coming back in November, I was being an ageist and incompetent. But now everybody didn't get what they wanted or the outcomes they didn't want. Now they want to tar and feather him. It's funny how they say, you know, those kind of things. Here's where I would say that it's easy when I uh, for people who, who are not spending the money and it's monopoly money to say they should have just given him what he wanted. That's the common thread. They should have just given him what he wanted. You're going to lose the, the ability to spend the money. It's not your money. It's only $6 million to one of the, to the richest owners in the sport. Oh, it's only $6 million. Like, it's pocket change. Let's just, you think the guy became rich by throwing $6 million away? You haven't seen the medicals. I haven't seen the medicals. The media hasn't seen the medicals. The Mets have seen the medicals and Boris. And each of those sides has a different opinion. 
I'm not an expert on pitching mechanics. I do follow some accounts that are. I can tell you based on what I've read and I've talked to pitching coaches like Rick Peterson in the past, not recently, and learned a little bit on an amateur, a junior, like, you know, the junior marketers. I'm a junior pitching coach. Um, I think there's some concerns about the mechanics. And I'm sure he's going to need Tommy John surgery, like most young pitchers do. Matthew Allen, for example, who's in the Mets system. But do you really honestly think that the Mets were going to blow up their draft over $6 million if there wasn't a major, major, major concern? And I'm not talking Tommy John surgery, shoulder, um, etc. You know, the Mets have done a pretty good job with Tommy Tanoy, excuse me, Tommy Tanis, Tommy Tanoy, Tommy Tanis. I know you guys get on my case for mispronouncing people's names. I don't know why I say Tanoy. Tommy Tanis and his team have done, I thought, good work. You know, you got a number of homegrown players on this team right now having an impact that I don't think we're all that hyped. And I also think because the draft now, unlike even just 10 years ago, is so overly hyped where fans see these players get drafted, see them pitch in the College World Series, and act like they're like right away going to come in. This isn't the NBA. This isn't the NFL. You're not going to see these guys, with the exception of one or two, you're not going to see these guys for a while. For five years. Brandon Nimmo was drafted in 2011. He's now an impactful offensive piece to the Mets. He's an elite run creator. He didn't make his big league debut until, what, 2016? He really didn't become a regular until 2018. Seven years. And he was traded, and the only reason he didn't go to Cincinnati is because he failed the physical. Or else he would have been part of the Jay Bruce trade. So, you know, calm down a minute here. Calm down for a little bit. But all I'm going to say is this. To make a statement or an opinion or get angry without really having complete information is just wrong. And there's nobody in the media. I don't want to see any opinion column tomorrow. Mets blew it. Same old Mets. The Wilpons could do this. You don't know. Now, the Wilpons would have gotten criticized and killed because their history of spending money did not give them that credibility. By the way, this ownership group, this owner, hasn't had that problem yet. I saw people get mad that the Mets got money back in the Baez trade. Well, guess what? When you give up a top prospect, that's part of the game, is getting something back or paying for that. That was the criticism the Mets didn't want to pay when they had they were sending salary over to get a better prospect. Why they didn't get the same returns for Familia and Bruce and things like that. What was considered smart and efficient on one hand now is the, the opposite when it's, you know, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. Well, that's not what this is all about. This is running a business. When this guy came in, it wasn't uh, the Monopoly guy just throwing money around. He said that in his press conference. He's going to get aggressive. He's going to push the envelope. I don't know if the Mets make a deal for Javi Baez in the Wilpon regime. I don't know if they do something like that. What I do know is they went out there, and with what they can get, they made the best deal possible. What I do think the big story coming out of this whole Boris Kumar Rocker situation could be is the Boris Sandy Olison relationship has always been odd with the you know hyperbole on Boris with the fruits and nuts aisle and Alderson's retorts. 
And the Mets, you know, they're going to need to do business with Boris if they want to play in the deep end of the pool. One of their own guys, Michael Conforto, is going to be a free agent this offseason. Does it leak over? Is this the sign of not having a good Boris relationship? I don't know. Remember, I don't think Sandy Alderson is... He's clearly not doing the day-to-day baseball operations because Zach Scott said it to John Heyman. That's his words, not mine. But Sandy being the president of the organization and being that ownership liaison and the guy that Steve Cohen brought in is going to be involved in those big decisions like the contract with Conforto, like giving a top draft pick $6 million with a bum arm. And if that man doesn't have a good relationship with the top agent in the sport— and it has to do with potentially destroying his draft pick, Rocker's going to have to go back in this draft having maybe played in indie ball or overseas for a year. I mean, there's a ton of bad stuff that could happen out of this. And I don't know if it's going to get any easier for him, because i got to be honest with you, 10 teams passed on him. The Mets are not alone in having doubts about this guy. The Mets had, didn't have as many doubts, and they felt he fell to them, but be that as it may, that's water under the bridge. Really not a good time with a deep-pocketed owner to not have a good relationship with one of the, not one, the most influential agent in the sport. So that's something to look for. But long and short of it, I'm not going to belabor this point because I want to get to our guest. And I haven't even introduced him yet, but Rich Mancuso from New York Sports Day is going to be joining me. And we're going to talk a little bit about the deadline. We're going to go into... um, uh, all this stuff, Kumar Rocker, what's next, and what have you. So, anyway, that's my take. Uh, I know some people are going to call me an apologist for the organization, but, you know, quite honestly, uh, we don't have enough information to bash the Mets other than this is a bad situation, and I just don't think this organization would blow up their draft after they put all their eggs in the Rocker basket. A risk, we know that, but they've done you know, feast or famine drafts last couple of years to build up the top end. And it's worked, but it's also hurt them with component prospects that maybe could have gotten them some depth, some starting pitching depth, some bullpen, things like that. Well, now they're going to have to develop what they have. They're going to have to work that much harder. They're going to have an extra draft pick next year. Maybe in the long run, it'll work out for them, but we'll see. There's going to be a new CBA, so there's a lot of stuff that's unknown. What the game is like today have a feeling will not be the case six months from now, but we'll see. All right, let's take a quick break. Let's come to our guest, Rich Mancuso, New York Sports Day, our friend. Had a nice piece over at New York Sports Day about the Baez trade. What does he think about Javi Baez? What does he think about this lackluster homestand? And what does he think about Kumar Rocker? Let's get his take. That and more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. We're back and joining me as promised, uh, Rich Man Cuso. You guys know him, New York Sports Day. He's out at the ballpark, Latino sports, big time boxing guy. So if you're also into boxing, and, and including the Mets, 
This is the guy to follow at Ring786 on Twitter. Rich, welcome to the program. And guess what? It, it never gets easier. Well, it's good for the shows like this, but it never gets easier out at City Field. Big deal on Friday. Big trade deadline. Um, um, and, uh, you know, sure enough, as soon as things get good, you hear the Jacob deGrom news and then the Kumar Rocker news. And a weekend that should have been celebratory at City Field turns into a five and six homestand. And away you go. The Mets go on the road. But I'll tell you what, Rich. I really think from a deadline perspective, the Mets, with the prices being what they were, we'll start there, with the prices being what they were, I think they did as good as they could. They got an offensive piece. They got some, you want to call uh, Williams pitching depth. It's pitching depth. They got enough done without too big of a cost, but I know it leaves the fans wanting. Uh, when I hear th- names like McNeil and Alvarez for Barrios or Maeda, it just goes to show you how expensive some of these uh, pitchers were. And even though I think the Mets have those prospects, I'm not sure they needed to give those uh, prospects up for the difference that some of those names would make in the long run. The Barrios trade with McNeil and Alvarez, too much for who he was. Too much. Mm. Um, as much as I'd like to see him in the rotation. So we'll start there. I think they did as well as they can without harming the farm system, and without too much pain. Well, you're right, Mike. Sandy Allison referred to that in the press conference that we had Friday um, after the deadline. And he said, we're not going to sell the farm. We weren't going to do it. And the economics of the game uh, played a major factor as far as getting pitching. You have pitchers under team control. You have pitchers looking at free agency. And you just don't know what you're going to get. The economics play a factor. The asking price that paid a factor. And exactly, what, I'm right on the money with Sandy said as far as not selling the farm. And he already said that when he took control again of this team. Uh, if you remember, when he was appointed again, he said, we're not going to give up our assets. We, we just, we have to build. We have to build it. And we already saw under the previous regime how many prospects went in trades. Some worked out pretty well for the other teams, including the Mariners. Some didn't. So uh, overall, I'm I'm split on this trade. I wrote about it. I know the Mets made a splash, and they did pretty well in getting a guy like Javier Baez and another pitcher that's in AAA who eventually, I'm sure, will slot himself in there before the end of uh, sometime this month. I guarantee that you'll probably see that. Um Pitching's hard to get. It's a major part of the game. We all know that. Pitchers go down with injuries. Pitchers don't go length no more, and and, uh, they're very difficult to get. And if you're going to win, you need pitching. And we know that with the Mets. We've seen this all year, and we're continually seeing it again because we don't know the status of Jacob DeGrom. And let's face it, uh, without DeGrom, the Mets are not going to go very far if they hold on to this division lead, which I think they will. So, um, yeah, fans were wanted another arm in the rotation. Fans wanted another arm maybe out of the bullpen. But in the end, when you look at it, you get Javier Baez. Yeah, he strikes out a lot, but he does get his hits. And up the middle, when, when Francisco Lindor comes back, you can't beat that infield combination uh, double play unit, stopping ground balls. And the Mets defensively, we saw it again today. The Mets, even though they lost today, 
defensively, that's been a big strength of this team this year. Uh, you saw Baez on that reload throw from the outfield and uh, nailed the runner down. And, and you know, that's what you're going to get for Javier Baez. And the problem is at the plate, first pitch swinger, he does that. He's one of the tops in baseball when he does that. Strikes out a lot, one of the tops that does that. But then what player doesn't strike out today? Strikeouts are a predominant part of this game. Javier Baez, though, good pickup for the Mets. Absolutely. And Rich, and we have Rich Mancuso with us, New York Sports Day, talking trade deadline, Kumar Rocker. And, uh, you know, how can we, uh, what, what, what is with this Mets team? First place, but doesn't feel good. No. Regardless of the fact that they got the information of DeGrom at 2 o'clock uh, regarding the inflammation, there was no pitcher that could replace DeGrom outside of Scherzer. And he wasn't coming. So Barrios, Maeda, really good, solid additions to this team. Uh, I think a week earlier when Rich Hill was brought in, it kind of told you the Mets' tolerance to Mm -hmm. pay for pitching. And some of this, I think, goes into the shutdown from last year. Mets' B, C prospects, maybe they don't have as much play with the scouts. Remember, everything is starting to reopen up a little bit. Things are just starting to get normal-ish when it comes to the, the game and the scouting and all that stuff. So unless there was a baby of Vientos and Alvarez, it looked like the only one they were willing to trade is the one they traded, which was Pete Armstrong, a guy who's hurt. So mm-hmm. they're a little lucky that you know they had a guy that, even though he's hurt, has some cachet, and that's the guy they were willing to deal with. So I don't really criticize them here. I know people think I'm being an apologist, but they're in first place. I understand the division's weak. They have five starters without DeGrom. Carrasco, nobody's talking about how big of an impact that is. I mean, if Carrasco was healthy, that's exactly the kind of pitcher that Barrios is. That's exactly the kind of pitcher that Maeda is. And and nobody's talking about it because I want, I want, I want the headline. And Rich Hill, look, he's a five-inning pitcher, but he was good enough for the Dodgers in the postseason, but he's not good enough for the Mets. I mean, come on. Oh, Rich Hill brings the experience – you're not going to get more than five innings from him. We know that. Yeah, the other night, uh, you know, wasn't Rich Hill. I mean, he gave up the home run ball. Every pitcher gives up a home run ball. You have an experienced guy in the rotation now. More importantly now, with Carrasco back, even with DeGrom not there, the Mets don't have to use that bullpen game now. They're set with their rotation right now with Tyler McGill as well. So that that's an added boost. But you'd like to see Carrasco work his way in, which we're going to see. I'm sure you're going to see Carrasco as long as the pitch count is not too high. As long as his, uh, his repertoire pitches are on, uh, controlled and everything else, then you'll see Carrasco go more than five innings. That would be a big, big boost to them. Uh, but I think the strength right now of this team is more of a concern about this offense that just continually can't score runs, even yeah. with Javier Baez in the lineup. And, and I want to talk to you, Mike, about Michael Conforto because that's the subject. That's the topic. Brandon Drury might have to start some more. Uh, J.D. Davis might have to come off the bench now. That is being, being on that, that's his role now. Maybe get some more, more starts and hopefully get his swing back. Because J.D., the way I know him, the way he talks to me, uh, if I'm not in that lineup, I can't be consistent, which is not only true of him, but almost every ball player will say the same thing, if not all. But the Conforto issue is major for the Mets. 
Yeah. He's a major cog in that lineup, as we know. He's killing Michael, them. Yeah. And if Michael Conforto can't get his act together, and heavens knows, no one knows what's wrong with him. We can't talk to him. And even if you did, on the Zoom calls, all you're going to get is, I have to fight my way out of it. And, yeah, he does. But you take him out of the lineup, he's not going to fight his way out of it. So they're hoping for that. Now, his last at-bat today was a little better than his in the last uh, yep, couple of weeks. Walk. He, had a, he took a big yeah, walk to try to start yeah, a rally. And if you look, the approach was a little better at the plate as well. And he wasn't chasing the pitcher you know, that he been chasing. He's awful. He's reverted back to 2016 Conforto. Exactly. The Conforto yeah. that was sent down. The Conforto that got off to a good start outside of the Pittsburgh series and a big game in Cincinnati in that 15-11 game. He's been non-existent all year. Is mm. it the pressure of the contract? Probably some of that. Is it just the fact that uh, he got untracked and he's a streak hitter and he hasn't been able to get on track with the hamstring and all that? Could be. But what's even more interesting now is, you know, as you look going beyond here, there's still a lot of baseball left. There's eight weeks of the regular season, and there's potentially a postseason. Now, Michael Conforto goes into the division series, hits four home runs, and hits 450 and wins the division series MVP. You're not going to care about this conversation on August 1st. Nobody's going to care about it. Mm. But the agent now... And Sandy Alderson are going back and forth over this draft pick. Conforto's a free agent, and it makes you wonder, is this going to spill into negotiations? Because I think Conforto right now, if I'm looking at it realistically, he's staring at a qualifying offer. I mean, what can he do in the next eight weeks outside of being Michael Conforto, the guy that hits 250 to 260 with power, drives and runs, and has an on-base percentage of 350 or higher? All those things he hasn't done all year except for the Cincinnati series and the big hit in the ninth inning off of uh, Ramirez in Pittsburgh. A big hit, big hit. Yeah. Maybe the yeah. biggest hit to that at that point of the season. Uh, and, and, and here's the thing, Rich. Brandon Drury is a backup. Brandon Drury is a you know spark. He's not a solution. He'll get exposed over the course of being in there every day. So you got to live and die with it. And um, you know, right now, he not hitting is a big – and look, let's face it. Dom Smith, big hit yesterday, been inconsistent. The only offensive player that for the most part all year has been himself on this team from start to finish is Pete Alonzo. And I'll put Nimmo in there, but he was hurt, so he was out a while. Nimmo's been who you would expect it. Everybody else is below their average. He's starting to come out of it, but he was in the doldrums for a while. Mm-hmm. 2.7 runs per game on the homestand. They yeah. won two games scoring three runs. There ain't a trade deadline acquisition in the world that could solve that. All the answers are on the roster. All the answers are in the lineup. They just got to go out and do it now, Rich. There's no more looking over for the Calvary. They got to go out and do it. The crazy game. We know how baseball is. A game of streaks. You talk about Dom Smith. You know, he's been a spark, too. Left-handed hitting, but there's a big disparity when he's on the right-handed side. He bats right-handed like a hundred point difference of batting average from both sides. And I didn't realize that until I heard that today uh, as much as I'm on this thing, but uh, where would they be without Dom Smith? Now the way he's been hitting and McNeil getting going and, you know, Alonzo's that streaky home run hitter. We know that, but, but we need, you got to see more from Alonzo than the home run ball. Unfortunately, he's that home run hitter. That's what you're going to get. But, 
Mike in July, which crazy and since the All Star break, the Mets have led the league in average, but are still next to last in runs scored. When there is a big problem. perfect, perfect examples Friday night. It's not necessarily, I mean, they could look, they don't walk as much as I'd like, but they'll get runners on base. They don't execute well with less than no. two outs and are on third. They don't score from second base a lot. They're last in base running by advanced metrics. Whatever that means, my it's eyes can tell me that. You want to play? They don't steal. You need, they have no speed. They don't steal bases like the Reds this whole series. How many did you see? You don't see that in baseball like you did. But with the Mets, you, you just don't see it. It doesn't exist. You know, so it's, it, it, it is a, a, a type of team that is fortunate to be where they are. And that's because this was the division, as you know, that was supposed to be the elite in baseball and became the least in baseball. And the Phillies and Braves have not played up to par. And they're still trying to find themselves. The thing is that they have to chase the Mets. That's a good thing. But the Mets better watch out because the schedule is not going to get easy as much as it might look easy. They still got those Giants and Dodgers, and they got to go to the West Coast and play them out there. And I Rich, feel that I, series. I really I do. Said, I said this in the open. They th- I think they have 11 games against the Nats, mm-hmm. 14 games against the Marlins left. That's 25 games against those two teams. That's what's going to win or lose the division. Yeah. That's what yeah. Gonna lose. Because let's face it, even in the best of times, you're going to play what? You know, you play 13 times the, the Giants and the Dodgers. What are you, 7-6? Maybe maybe eight and five if you catch them at the right time. These are tough teams. You play teams that are postseason teams. You know you win series four out of seven. That's what you're expected to do. You're not expected yeah. to win six out of seven. Uh, you know, so you got that. You got the six games against the Phillies next weekend with the big series in Philadelphia. The thing is, they're in. They had a good cushion. They're not. It's. It's. it's not, I mean, everybody's sounding the panic alarm. Well, they don't feel like a first place team. Well, guess what? Nobody gave the '87 Minnesota Twins the division uh, mm. back. And they won the World Series. Those and Giants nobody, teams that won. They thought that nobody, yeah, Mike, that's a good up. But nobody thought the 2015 Mets were going to go to the World Series either. That's a team that won 90 games. This team is on yeah. pace to win 86. The yeah. Giants in 2014, I think, won 88 or 89 games. Some of those Giants postseason teams, they weren't great regular season teams. Look, you get into the tournament. You're positioned with where you're at. I think it's critically important to start moving this organization away from the Wilpon era away from the negativity to win the division. Right. Once you get in this tournament, I don't know what's going to happen. Without DeGrom, probably a first-round exit. With DeGrom, the Dodgers aren't going to want to face him. The Giants aren't going to want to face him. The Padres aren't going to face him. Look, you think the Padres fans feel good uh, this weekend about Tatis, who could be out for the year? Who has, you know, more likely we don't see Tatis than we don't see DeGrom. So everybody goes through this. Right, you know, every team, you can't build, you know, there's not one team that doesn't go through it, even the teams that aren't in contention and just going to play out the string. But I want to bring up this point of the schedule that's so important for the Mets again. Look at them, because at the middle of this month, that those games against the Giants and Dodgers from the 16th to the 22nd, that could be a very big key towards making sure that they win this division. Because after that, it gets a little easier for them. With the Nationals, they right. can be. And with, I'm looking at the schedule now. And then the Yankees in between. But, the but, remember, but remember, Rich, you're going to have you're gonna have guys on the Nats and guys on the, the Marlins that are right. playing for, 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 
for positions. They're playing they for their livelihood. Yeah, the Marlins have good young pitching. We saw and that. You can't, you can't displace that. I remember, you know, I'll use a basketball analogy. Last game of the regular season this year, Knicks were playing the Celtics. The Celtics basically sat everybody. Knicks needed to win that to get home court. And I was talking to, and I was talking to somebody on Twitter, and everybody's like, oh, the Knicks got this in the bag. And he's like, guys who are bench players coming in, playing for their careers to make an impression, don't discount them. Sure enough, the Celtics almost took that game. So, right. But but that's why these are critically important. You have to win these games. You, you have, have to, to win your games. Those and 25 course, games, you got to play you know, 6, 620, 630 baseball in those and, games. You have to. And you got to look at the bullpen as well. We have to touch on that, Mike. The Met bullpen has been up basically very, very good. I think they've done their job all year with exceptional They're couple the MVP. And downs. They're the MVP. Yeah, yeah, Them and maybe gotta, the, it, the, the defense, if you want to credit the defense on the analytics department or the, the yeah. personnel, the, the bullpen and the defense are the MVPs of the 20. And, and I don't want to see fans give up on Edwin Diaz. I, I know that they were very disgruntled that they were looking at Greg Kimball. They weren't going to get him. There was never even a thought about getting him. Edwin Diaz is the closer of this team. And Edwin Diaz, despite the year he had with the Mariners and the 59 saves, whatever it was, Edwin Diaz is that type of pitcher. He, If he doesn't, if the slider doesn't work, depends on the fastball. If the fastball's on the, on the money with him, the control and the command, he's unhittable. And we've seen that. And relatively, he's done a good job. The Mets fans give up on Edwin Diaz too much. I and I can understand that because we've seen him come in and right away erratic. The thing with Edwin Diaz is if you see him get the ball and throw it, then you know he's going to be there. If he waits and he pauses, then you know something's wrong with the command and the control. Uh, there was another tweet from another a guy who writes for a publication called The Federalist who said that when Diaz delays. He's yeah. looking for his grip on the slider. He's tipping his right, pitches. Right. I have to look at that more. I can't say I know anything. I do know yeah. he tips his pitches. Well, next time he pitches, look at him up close, and you'll yep. see that. No, I know. I know. Good... Yeah. You'll see that, uh, Mike. Absolutely. All right, Kumar Rocker. Here, he, yeah. here, here's, my, here's my thing about Kumar Rocker. I didn't watch the kid at, uh, very much at Vanderbilt. It was great to see him fall to number 10. Anytime you could get an elite arm in your organization, whether he ever pitches for you or not, it's an asset. Uh, it was peculiar that he dropped. Boris is the agent. I talked to a guy that I know in the industry whose team knows him very well. He wasn't as high on him. There's people who question the mechanics, the health. Mm-hmm. And and now it comes down to they're not going to sign him. And mm-hmm. I've seen all sorts of crazy takes from it's only money, give him the money, to the Mets need to fire Zach Scott, Sandy Alderson today. Crazy. To same old Mets, to Cohen yeah. is Wilpon. And yeah. here was my, my whole thing. I'm not apologizing for the Mets. I'm not defending them. All I know is this. Do you honestly believe that this organization, under this new ownership group, with Zach Scott, who comes from Boston, and and, and, and Tommy Tanis, who I think is a respected executive, mm-hmm. uh, who's done some nice things here, they actively sabotage their draft for this to be the outcome. I and can't do you think? And do you think they walked away from this guy over Tommy John surgery? Because there's no chance that's no. why they walked away from him. No, no. chance. There's no. something more to this. There's a lot yes, more to this. We may and, never uh, know. We're going to find out soon. We're going to find yeah. out. What are your thoughts? But, you what know, you- I, well, I, I, I think it's. I think the agent Boris 
uh, and has something to do with it, whether it's the money or whether they were manipulating to do this or do that. Uh, there might be a concern about his health that we don't know, that might be deeper that we don't know. We just don't know because we don't get access to certain things. You go around your sources. Uh, what I was able to determine early this afternoon is that it might be an injury situation with his arm. and be concerned about that. And based on that, the money that he was asking that Boris wanted for the pick, that could end up being it. The shame of it is they lose the pick. They lose a potentially good draft pick who I think would eventually would have worked out. Would he be a Nolan Ryan or, or someone like that? No, we just don't know. We don't know. But you lose a first-round draft pick of the, uh, and a pitcher, which, which pitching is so much of a commodity needed in this game. And you get a first-round pick like that, and then you lose him. That's what hurts. But why this happened, nobody will really know. I think it will eventually come out. Right now, we're trying to find the answers. Um, you know, it goes back to, to, you know, you lose on Armstrong, the rookie, this 19-year-old. who you know, 19 years old, but he wasn't major league ready. And I'm sure they didn't want to give him up. But there'd be no room for him now, and they get Javier Baez. You know, this is baseball. I like mean, Brandon Nimmo, Brandon Nimmo was traded for Jay Bruce. Yeah, I yeah. I wasn't a big fan of Nemo. He didn't really play yeah, great in the minor leagues. Yeah. I thought he was too passive. You know what? There's a guy in this organization we're not talking about. Maybe it's Vientos. We weren't talking about Jeff McNeil. Uh, J.D. Yeah. Davis at times is not a, a talked about prospect in the Houston organization. Just let them develop. Let they everybody come out thought. Of right, right. Everybody thought Steve Cohen buying this team. Think, and I, I'm going to say this. I've said this a billion times. Yeah. Anybody who listens to this show has heard it. What they're doing is historically significant. They changed ownership on November 1st, mm-hmm. brought Alderson in, hired two general managers, on the fly are building an analytics department in a front office, and had to build a team to contend. Not a team like Pittsburgh, like Ben Charrington, to not compete. It would have been right. a lot easier to say, you know what, we're not going to compete. And, uh, you know, they might make the playoffs, and when they're getting the playoffs, anything could happen. Just like anything could happen for the Dodgers, anything could happen for the Padres, right. so on and so forth. Right. So, because, you know, uh, you know this idea. Yeah. Yeah, Mike. Yeah. It's just so frustrating to see yeah. the, the punditry. And, and and don't be, be ready. They're going to get killed in the papers tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Be ready. Yeah. And nobody yeah. knows the medicals. And if yeah. Ian O'Connor says something or Ken David all up, and I don't mean to put you on the spot because I know you're in the press box with these guys or Joel Sherman or whoever, they don't know. Jeff Passan doesn't know. Nobody, they know what Boris is going to tell them. And They're Boris is going to give you exactly. his Exactly. They get certain what they get. They have their, right. they talk to certain people, get right. the certain account. But right. the reality is you can't get the real truth of it. You can't get the real oh, truth. Oh, it's only $6 million. Oh, He's worth yeah. $15 billion. By the way, $6 million is a lot of coin. You don't yeah. get rich by throwing it around. And you no. get fired for throwing it around. If I was a uh, Steve Cohen, I could potentially fire somebody when this kid has a bad shoulder right. in three years, which I don't no. know if he is. I don't know if he is. No. I'm not saying. You just but- don't know. Uh, you, you don't know until you know what he's capable of doing in the major league level. Right. Okay? So you just don't know. I think this, this, you know, it's bad image on the Mets about this, no doubt. But then, when again, when do the Mets not have? A negative image. Right. I mean, the, the history of it just goes on and on and on. Anything from that to the injuries or whatever. I think it's a real, it's a negative vibe on the Mets. The positive thing is you got an owner 
that wants to win, that's committed, that has the money to do it, and Met fans can't complain about that. Can't a lot of positive things. There's a somebody, lot of positive things. Somebody told me a week ago that was at the ballpark that that knows some of the guys in the front office, and they basically said a lot of smart people there. They have a lot of good ideas for the uh, yes. for the team, um, and and it's a good time to be a Mets fan. And then, no, that doesn't right. necessarily mean they're going to win no. the division. No, or they're going to get I, every player. I think they positive. will. And when we talk again soon towards the stretch. Uh, you, I, I think the Mets are going to win this division. I don't. I, how far they go in the postseason, I don't know. It's that's, a, it's a, that, it's that's a whole different thing, get, right? Okay. Um, the coaching staff, and you hear Louis Roas say this all the time. You know about the clubhouse, the attitude, the chemistry. We keep hearing those words. We've heard that in the onset of the season, but we we were also hearing about this coaching staff. You gotta give. A, I spend a lot. I talk a lot to Dave Jowles, the bench coach, and Dave and I go back. And Dave tells me a lot of things about that chemistry, and tells me about what these coaches do. And a lot of credit also goes to his pitching staff and what Jeremy Jeremy Hetner has done as the pitching coach. The right people running the show are in place for the Mets. Are these players consistent? No. We know consistency has been an issue with this team from the onset in April. Will Alonzo, uh, more so Conforto, and guys we brought up, McNeil, whatever, will they break out and be consistent? Because the Mets really have not developed a long streak of consistency in the win column or uh, at the plate as hitters. I don't know if that's going to happen. But as long as one guy picks up another on the pitching staff and in that lineup, well, they'll win the division, and everything's looking good. But I, my point here, Mike, is this. Met fans should just sway away a little bit about reading what they're getting in the media and look at what's going on right now as we hit August in the standings. They're a first-place team, and that's the good they news. Got, and they got to look. I'll throw you one quick thing. This just came out where Mike Puma, the New York Post, was told the Mets cut bait completely with Kumar Rocker. They never put a contract on the mm. table for him to accept or reject. Earlier, there had been some thought the Mets might try to get him for a lower signing bonus. Mm-hmm. That tells you a lot. Yes, it does. That's not Tommy John surgery. And no. you could criticize them for drafting the kid and blowing up the draft pick. But maybe they said, look, we're going to get the 11th pick next year. It's yeah. not the NBA, the 10th and 11th pick. Now they got two picks next year. And they got and, more money. Um, more pool yeah. money. More pool yeah. money. You know what? That's In the right. end, it's a strategy. All right, Rich, New York Sports Day. What do you got coming up real quick at Ring 786? If you're a boxing fan, you definitely want to follow Rich. NY Sports Day for baseball. Rich is at the ballpark. He's not just here punditing from, like, guy like me who's punditing from my, uh, you know, studio <laughs> at home. Well, well, I, that's, that's, <laughs> I call mic. a few people, but it's easy for me. I punted from from, well, you know, from, from Eastern Long well, Island over here. You know. Well, let me tell you somewhere out the job has changed. Be, yeah. the, being at the ballpark really you can go on the field before the game, try and get who you can get, talk to who you can talk to. But uh, it's really uh, just press box stuff now. You know, mostly Zoom. And I don't think it's changing. It I don't. Think and it's no, changing. it's not. It's. Not. I think the clubhouses are going to be closed. Uh, for the, I don't think. I, I hate to be a pessimist about this, but I don't see the clubhouses opening up ever again. I think the no. players like it this way, 
And uh, but it's Zoom is not the way the to do uh, It's going to be yeah. in the new CBA. The, yeah, Mark yeah. My words. Yeah, I agree media with you. access is going to be changing. I'm not saying limited. It's going yeah. to change to that. I agree this, with you. The, and the yeah. players, maybe in spring training, you could develop a, a relationship and get their number. You're going to have yeah. to do a good amount of the old school. People are going to have to go down to Port St. Lucie. You may have to. At the end of the day, you need to do your work. You can still talk to scouts. Yeah. You can still talk to executives. Um, well, the scouts are not around. We can't get scouts. They're not in the press box. They're not in the dining room. Um, and there aren't many scouts left. We're Major League Baseball, we realigned all of that. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's been an interesting season, Mike. It's a different type of job to do. People can right. reach me at Twitter at Ring786 and at Facebook.com, Rich Mancuso. Right. And I'm uh, NewYorkSportsDay.com, Latino Sports. I'll be at the ballpark, Mets here and there, some Yankees here and there, and, of course, boxing, my passion, my love. Rich, you're you're a gentleman. You spent a lot of time with me here. Be well. All the time, Mike. I would would do this with you every day. (laughs) You get sick of me. (laughs) No, I wouldn't. I get sick of a lot of people. Let me tell you, my patience runs thin. People know Rich Mancusa that way, but not with you, my friend. Okay? I appreciate that. Have a great Sunday. We'll talk soon. Always good talking to you. Thanks, Mike. That's Rich Mancuso. New York Sports Day, ring at 786 on Twitter. Great stuff. A Met, a Met reporter, Met, guy grew up a Mets fan from the Bronx. You can't get, can't get more strange than that. A real New Yorker. Love talking to Rich. All right, let's take a quick break, wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. There have been a lot of amazing scenarios during Mets history. Did you know that Mr. Met was fired? Yes, fired for a brief time. Devin Gordon author of the book So Many Ways to Lose, The Amazing True Story of the New York Mets, talked about Mr. Mets' short-lived replacement on the Talking Mets podcast. They actually fired Mr. Met. They fired <laughs> Mr. Met, <laughs> loving father and husband, <laughs> and replaced him with a mule, a live, actual mule that they named Metal, M-E-T-T-L-E, because they wanted a symbol of unglamorous grit and determination to be the symbol of the Mets. And they, they ended up, it turned out, and this only occurred to them later, the demise of Metal the Mule um, was brought on, um, because it turns out that uh, mules need to be fed, and they require care and feeding, and you right. have to store them in humane facilities, and all of these things cost money, um, whereas you can pay Mr. Met nine to five. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. I think it was great, great conversation, Rich Mancuso. Look, long and short of it is, yes, there are holes on this Mets team. Yes, they don't always feel like a first place team, but you got to play and and win with the parameters that are in front of you. You want to give away the – listen, there is 29 other teams – well, take the teams that are first place. You talk to Pirates, the Pirates front office. You talk to the Marlins front office. You talk to the Nationals front office, the Cubs. You know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe because everybody's tanking. You talk to a lot of teams, front offices, and fan bases, and they'd switch with the Mets. By the way, you talk to the 2019 Mets fan base that was – 
under 500 at this time in 2019, they would, at least I would switch with this current group, being in first place by four or five games with the ability to control if they play better their own destiny. As far as Kumar Rocker, you heard it. Some breaking news while we're on this podcast, on the show. Looks like the Mets, there's a big lot more to this than meets the eye. And, you know, we won't get that right away, but it'll eventually come out. Last thing I wanted to get, um, I thought the ceremony for the Mets Hall of Fame was very well done. It was nice seeing Ray Ardonia's back. And I didn't get a chance to talk to Rich uh, about this, but, you know, another time. Uh, Edgar Alfonso, even Edgardo, uh, uh, Carlos Baerga was back. I thought it was really, really cool to see these guys back. I think the Mets have done a nice job trying to re-engage with, you know, not just their championship or pennant-winning teams, but different players from different eras that were popular and contributed and, and really start to get a, you know, a pride uh, of this organization that's been missing. Turk Wendell, I believe, was at the ballpark on Saturday. Um, but uh, Philip Metz, M-E-T-Z. So I don't know if that's Philip's real name, but Philip Metz, who roots for the Mets, uh, brought up a point and uh, and talked to me about, or sent me a note about a name that gets no attention with the Mets Hall of Fame, which is Sid Fernandez. Uh, and he's 100% right. When you compare Sid uh, to uh, Ron Darling, I mean, Sid is a much better pitcher. Believe it or not, Ron Darling was a below-league average pitcher for a large percentage of his Mets career. And he even talked about on the broadcast... I hate to dump on Ron because he's a great broadcaster and he's a great guy. And he was uh, so eloquent uh, in his remarks about being in the Mets Hall of Fame. And he's truly a great spokesperson uh, and and wore the uniform with pride and and is a really smart guy. But when you talk about performance on the field and he's somewhat self-deprecating about his career, uh, he was not the number two pitcher on that staff. I thought Bobby Ojeda and David Cohn certainly were. And at times, and if you go to Game 7, Sid Fernandez saved his lunch in Game 7, 1986, with a great performance. So El Cid, I think, is an underrated member of that staff. He was the kind of guy that would probably, because of his weight, get injured, probably would make one bad pitch, walked a few too many guys. Again, goes back to what I said earlier. Pitchers that walk hitters, all it takes is one knock to ruin a game. And, you know, you go from a 3 nothing lead or 2 nothing uh, uh, shutout to 3-2-4-2 pretty quickly. And all of a sudden, good numbers turn into eh numbers. But when you break down Sid Fernandez's numbers, uh, I think in the analytics era, he would be appreciated more. So, And if uh, you go to Mets Rewind, a great podcast, he was recently on Mets Rewind with uh, John Struble. Great interview. Not easy to get Sid Fernandez to talk, so... Check out Mets Rewind, and you get to hear uh, Sid Fernandez for yourself. So, Anyway, I uh, want to thank everybody for tuning in. A, chock, a show chock full of a lot of stuff. Sometimes it's not good news that makes for a busy show, but keeps us entertained and keeps us moving along. And, uh, you know, away we go. We are now in the get-it-done phase of the season. We talked about getting to know the team, figuring out what they need. We could argue all you want about whether they fulfilled all those needs. Doesn't matter. There's there's no more trades. Maybe somebody falls on the waiver wire, but unlikely. It's now go get it done. And that's where we are. And the Mets are going down to Miami, into South Beach, and they've started the month of August with a loss, so they got to go out and get it done. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to this latest edition of the Talking Mets podcast. I want to thank Rich Mancuso. You can check him out all the time at New York Sports Day and at Ring786 on Twitter. 
You could check me out all the time at the thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your evening. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.